Good morning once again to all of you, especially to all the men who have made it back from the men's retreat just in time to be here for church. Good to see you guys again. Yes, let's a, we, can, we can applaud the men, but even more so, uh, we want to applaud the moms in the room who uh, were without uh, help this week. So. We had a great time away. Thanks again to Will and Tony for all your efforts to organize that retreat. Praise God for you brothers. Thank you. We, amen. We are in Philippians again this morning. Uh, chapter 3, we're looking at verses 12 through 16 in particular. I think most of you by now have probably heard at least part of my testimony. And in particular, how when I moved here uh, 22 and a half, 23 years ago, I was in a period of significant depression in my life, uh, of loneliness, of isolation, and uh, such a point where I could sit in a chair and just stare at a wall, look into space for hours and just occupy my mind with just thoughts of what I had lost, what I would left in Florida. And it was during this period of depression that God broke into my life. And the primary way he did that for me as a lonely, isolated, depressed, melancholy 16-year-old was through the upward call of God in my life in the form of a girl, in the form of a girl named Catherine Crocker. Oh, I love that. Oh. She was a preacher's kid like me. She loved Jesus like me. She loved worship music. She was fun to be around. And I began pretty quickly to run through some scenarios in my head, mostly that I thought Catherine Brown had a nicer ring to it than Catherine Crocker. Um, But there was a big problem, which was this. She was three years older than me. I was a senior in high school. She was a senior in college. We like to kind of gross our kids out sometimes by saying that she used to babysit me when I was a little kid. (laughs) Not quite. Yeah. Our kids love when I make that joke. They just think it's great. But in the summer after Catherine graduated from Wheaton and I graduated from Oakton High School, go Cougars, I felt released to be more, let's say, direct about my intentions. There was the infamous AOL instant messenger late night conversation where I let loose one of my one-liners. It was, you know, Catherine, age is an issue of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. I gotta tell you, I'm amazed she didn't just marry me on the spot right there and there. Eventually, in a very late night conversation on the phone, I was sitting in my closet on the phone, my little Motorola Razor or whatever it was back in the day. I put all my cards on the table, my general intentions, okay? Nothing too specific, just very broad things, like what we could name our kids one day. Um, and it was clear to me in this conversation, Catherine was not as convinced as I was, but I remember her clearly saying something along the lines of this, quote, I could conceivably, hypothetically, maybe, just maybe, theoretically, remotely, possibly consider something when you graduate college. So I'm thinking, okay, four years from now, I'm thinking, let me do the math. I'm not good at math. That's why I do music. Um, uh, That's about 1,407 or 61 days or so. And so I'm thinking, you're telling me there's a chance. All of a sudden... 
I was quite motivated. I found myself thinking an awful lot less about the past, and I found my thoughts wandering in different directions when I was staring at a wall. And as they say, the rest is history. And right here in August of 2006, my AOL one-liner paid off. (laughs) Thank you very much. So what happened to me to transform a depressed, unmotivated, melancholy young man into someone striving forward for a goal? It was an upward call. An upward call of God in the form of Catherine, yes, but it was an upward call that turned my gaze forward, lifted my eyes up, gave me something to strain forward towards, and it became my obsession. I tell you that story, and I know many of you have stories like it. I'd love to hear your one-liners after the service today, because it's an illustration of the transformation that occurs when a person hears an upward call. A call from outside of ourselves towards something that is at one level unreachable, but at another level is reachable. It's an upward call. When we hear it, we press on. We strain forward towards it. And that's where we find ourselves in Philippians this morning. Page 981 in your pew Bibles. We saw last week that Paul sharing his testimony, how he had been set free from a life of doing in order to achieve righteousness, driven by zeal for the law, now he's been set free to knowing, to receiving righteousness through faith in Christ and to zeal for Christ, from doing to knowing, from achieving to receiving, from zeal for the law to zeal for Christ. And we started our Philippians reading today. Bill read back a few verses for us, starting in verse 8, how Paul counts everything as loss, For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, counting his gain as rubbish, so that his only gain would be Christ. And now this morning in verses 12 through 16, we hear how Paul has been set free into what is the purpose of his life. And what is the purpose of your life? And what is the purpose of my life? And the purpose of this church's life? And it's nothing more for Paul And for us, it's nothing less than a full-on, intentional, obsessive pursuit of Jesus. Paul paints for us today what I call a portrait of pursuit. Portrait of pursuit. And verse 12 is the frame of the portrait. It frames the portrait. He writes in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect. Uh, In other words, not that I have already obtained perfect knowledge of Jesus, not that I've already obtained a perfect grasp of Jesus, but I press on to make it, to make knowledge of him, to make grasping Jesus my own. I press on to make knowing Jesus my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's the frame of the portrait. Jesus has made me his own completely. And so because Jesus has made me his own, I press on to know the one who has made me his own. I think the NIV translation gets at this a little better in how it phrases the last half of verse 12. Some of you might have an NIV with you. It puts it this way. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. The pressing on that we are invited into as Christians and as a church is nothing more and nothing less than a pursuit of Jesus, a never-ending pursuit of grabbing hold of the one who has grabbed hold of us. Paul paints this portrait with two brushstrokes, and that's what we'll be considering this morning as a church. Two brushstrokes 
in this portrait of pursuit. And we see both of them in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own. A full grasp of Jesus again. That's the it. I do not consider I've made it my own. But one thing I do. One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So first brush stroke of this portrait of pursuit. Forgetting what lies behind. The word here that Paul uses for forgetting is vivid. It's written in the present tense meaning this is to be an ongoing forgetting, not a one-and-done type of forgetting, an ongoing, active forgetting of what lies behind. We are to keep a constant bonfire in our minds and continually throw anything into it that keeps our eyes from being fixed on Jesus. Just this past weekend on our men's retreat, as Mike and I were speaking in the main meeting room, there was a roaring fire about this far away from me and Mike when we spoke. I've never spoken that close to a roaring fire before. It was quite nice, very toasty. But that's the image that Paul is painting in a sense of, of walk through life, live your life with a roaring fire behind you. And anything that takes your mind off of Jesus, anything that takes your eyes off of Jesus, throw it in the fire. Forget what lies behind. We're to keep our eyes on Jesus so we can pursue him. And we can't simultaneously keep our eyes on Jesus while also looking back. So in an ongoing, intentional way, we're encouraged here. Keep looking forward to Jesus in front of us and forget what is behind us. Just think about this realistically, physically. It's hard to walk forward when you're looking backwards. It would be quite hard to drive straight down Main Street here on your way home with your car in reverse or looking into your rearview mirror. How many of us, though, in many ways in our lives actually try to do this? We are constantly looking behind us and we're thinking, why am I not making progress? Why am I not getting closer to Jesus? Why is our church not moving forward? Because we're looking behind us. That's why. Perhaps we're looking at what we've gained, our achievements, our successes, our triumphs, our internal trophy case that we keep. We like these trophies. They're shiny. They're nice. They validate us. They're impressive. Or perhaps we're keeping a trophy case of our losses, looking at what we've lost, our shortcomings, our failures, our disappointments. Many of us are very good at maintaining a kind of an internal scorecard how we've disappointed ourselves, our mistakes. We never get past it. Our disappointments in ourselves or in others, the grievances, who has disappointed us. We can't move on sometimes. All week long as I've been chewing on this call to forget what lies behind us, a particular movie has kept coming to my mind. Raise your hand if you've seen Napoleon Dynamite. Anybody in the room? Thank you that I'm not totally alone. Jim Robb, I see that hand. There's a character in that movie who's ridiculous. And his name is Uncle Rico. And he's absolutely stuck in 1982. When he was in a high school football team and he dropped a pass or something and he made a mistake and it cost him his football career. He couldn't get into state. He couldn't get into the NFL. He dropped out of high school. And now he lives in a van. And he sets up a camcorder outside his van and he records himself throwing fake passes, pretending he's in the NFL. 
And then he puts the videotape on for him and his nephews to sit there and watch the videotape of him playing football. And he tells his nephew how if he wants to, he could throw a football over the mountains. And he buys a scam time machine from the internet. And he sets it to 1982 because he literally wants to go back and live his life. He's in 1982. He's ridiculous. But he's an emblem for us. He's emblematic of how we oftentimes just can't forget 1982. I would have made state. I would have gone to the NFL. We can't move past the past. This is not thinking with the mind of Christ. Paul is saying for us, because of the all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ, and because Christ himself is gain, we're called to consider everything else as loss, as rubbish, he said last week. It's not worth knowing, not worth remembering. Achievements and failures, trophy cases and scorecards, whatever takes our eyes off of Jesus, whatever keeps us looking backwards, we are to actively forget, throw into the bonfire. This is hard for us. Sometimes reading the Bible hurts, but it's a good hurt. It's a good hurt. Because if we don't hear this as people or as a church, if we don't obey this, then we will be forever dysfunctionally stuck in reverse. If we're not careful, this can be our sad condition, either individually or corporately, that we miss out on a pursuit of Jesus, the all-surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, because we won't forget what lies behind. Now, I'm not talking about burying things alive. It's a wise man who oftentimes says that when you bury your feelings or when you bury your pain, you bury them alive. Paul is not talking about alive things, about ignoring pain or open wounds or, or unresolved trauma or abuse. We deal with those things in the right way. We deal with them. Paul is not talking about things that are alive. He's talking about things that are dead weights, what lies behind. Shiny trophies, little grievances. And so the first brushstroke is we've got to stop looking at those things. Forget them. Let them go. We've got to let some stuff go. Individually, we need to have enough of a prayer life and a devotional life and a relational life that we can be aware of what things in our personal histories we've got to let go of and forget about. And it's painful. Going through our closet sometimes is painful. Maybe I'm going to want to wear this ugly sweater one day. No, you won't. Maybe I'm going to want this picture my firstborn drew of a chicken one day. You probably won't. It's painful to do inventory, but the Holy Spirit helps us do inventory on what we need to get rid of, who we need to forgive. He reveals to us where we keep looking backwards. And the church has got to let go of some stuff too. If we're going to pursue Jesus fully, if we're going to pursue living fully in the fullness of Jesus, if we're going to pursue all he has for us, we must forget what lies behind. And what I'm going to say next is true for any church. First, any church can't live in the glories of the past. Praise God for it. Praise God for whatever foundations he laid, whatever pillars he raised up, whatever ways he used a church for his glory and his gospel for the good of his people. Praise God. But we cannot live, any church cannot live in the glories of the past. Secondly, any church cannot live in the pain of the past. 
We praise God again for how he does work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called into his purposes. We, but we pray that God will, will heal that pain and we trust him with the pain. Forgetting the pain, leaving it aside, is trusting God with it. It's saying, God, I trust you with this. And I trust that as I keep my eyes on Jesus, as I focus fully on Jesus, if there's anything from back there that I need to deal with or that has a word for me today, you will bring it into my field of vision. A healthy person, a healthy church is fixed on Jesus, trusting in Jesus with the past, not simultaneously trying to do this all the time. Fixed forward, trusting God with the past. Brushstroke number one is this. For you, for me, for the church, for Truro Church, it's time to forget what lies behind. It's past time for it. It's far better to look at Jesus. It's far better to trust him. And we're grateful for the past, and we grieve the pain of the past, and we trust God with it. But as of today, and as of this moment, we're moving on. We're moving on. Verse 13, one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind. Here's the second brushstroke. Straining forward to what lies ahead. Straining forward. In our language, straining is usually not a good thing. Uh, uh, any vocal coach who works with a singer or instrumentalist will say, don't strain your voice. Uh, straining is not a good thing. Uh, it, it looks like you're straining. It's not usually a compliment. It's a positive word here because it's an athletic image that Paul is painting. Gerald Hawthorne, who's a New Testament scholar, points out this is an intense word taken from the arena. And what it's painting a picture for us of is of an athlete in an Olympic race straining forward. His body is bent over in full force, full speed, running forward, reaching for the prize. His eye is fixed on the prize. He is doubled over, reaching forward for the prize. That's the word that Paul uses here, straining forward to what lies ahead. Straining forward. Is that our posture towards Jesus? Either in our spiritual life or here in a church. Do we strain forward with our eyes fastened on Jesus or do we strain backwards with our eyes on something else? Many of us, without realizing it, I think, can, can allow these little, let me just, uh, let me just call them spy balloons, uh, <laughs> to float up above our heads. And they dominate our news cycle. These spy balloons, you know, of that thing that happened back then, that thing that person said, and what that person wrote. And, oh, and, and Jesus is, is, is there. And these little spy balloons. And God wants to send his F-22 and shoot them down. And some of us, without realizing it, like to launch little spy balloons. We like to sit with somebody at a table and say, you know that thing? Remember that thing that person said and did? Remember that thing we used to do back then in 1982? Remember that? We're, we're, we're like spy balloon launchers without realizing it. And so I give you permission uh, just to have a little, like a little, a little card that says uh, F-22 and just uh, shoot, down that, uh, shoot down that little spy balloon. Strain forward to what lies ahead, to the goal. We've got to strain forward. This is how obsessive Paul is uh, to this upward call of Jesus, to what lies ahead. 
Paul gets specific in verse 14. Stick with me about the prize of the upward call of God and Christ Jesus. There's that transformation, that transformation that occurs in a person when they hear an upward call. An upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This tells us a few things here, this upward call. It tells us that the call on our life and the call on our church originates in Christ. Remember Paul knocked off the horse, rode to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. He sees a light and he hears a voice from heaven. That's why Paul could frame this portrait this way. I want to grab hold of Jesus because he first grabbed hold of me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because, what? He first loved me. Upward call, it originates in Christ. Secondly, it tells us our life continues in Christ. I said this last week, for those who are in Christ, your life is not a dash between two fixed dates. You're an arrow. We gain Christ in this life and in the next, and our life is headed towards Christ. This is how so many of the old songs, so many of the old spirituals, especially the songs and the spirituals that were written by enslaved people, focused on the life in Christ that we have in glory. It's what got them through decades and decades and generations of enslavement and being trapped and brutality and oppression because they knew my life is not a dash. I'm headed to the promised land. I'm headed to glory. It wasn't just wishful thinking. It gave them true hope in this life because they knew they had an upward call. Third, it points us to our prize, which is Jesus himself. We strain forward, we strain, we run, we fix our eyes on Jesus, but we see him by faith, not by sight. And then one day we're straining, we're running, our eyes are fixed on him, we're forgetting what lies behind, and then one day we see him by sight. We see him, and we grab hold of Jesus. The prize is Jesus himself. It's not theoretical, it's not philosophical, it's not high and lofty, it's real, flesh and bone, Jesus. Just humor me for a minute and just take your hands like this and rub them like this and feel your muscles and feel the skin and feel the bones in your finger and know that one day with just as much tangible, I don't know, what's the word, tangibleness, you are going to feel the hands of Jesus. You're going to wrap your arms around him. You're actually going to attain Jesus. Not that I've already attained this, Paul says. One day I'm going to attain it. Jesus. I love how he says it in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now uh, I know in part, we prophesy in part, I know in part, but then I shall be known fully, even as I have been fully known. I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. I want to know the one fully who knows me fully. remember doing a hospital visit with my dad in middle school, I think seventh grade. We went to the little hospital near our church to visit a woman in our congregation who was a few hours away from death. And I brought my guitar with me. And beside her bed, I sang a Stephen Curtis Chapman song that had just come out at that time called Hold On to Jesus. And the chorus has these words. I will hold on to the hand of my Savior. 
I will hold on with all my might. I will hold loosely to things that are fleeting and hold on to Jesus. I will hold on to Jesus for life. And I've never forgotten that moment, how because of Jesus and because to live is Christ and to die is gain, I could encourage a dying woman who is hours away from breathing her last breath that to hold on to Jesus was to hold on for life, for life. This is the portrait of pursuit. Forget what lies behind, strain forward to what lies ahead, Jesus. This is the way to live, and this is the way to think. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And, I love this, if in anything you think otherwise, eh, God will reveal that also to you. I think that eh was left out in the original. <laughs> I grew up in the South where we had these wonderful, you know, bless her hearts, you know. She had, she's a few fries short of a Happy Meal, bless her heart. Guy's dumber than a bucket of rocks, bless his heart. You know, you could, I almost see this as a bless, bless your heart. Let those of us who are mature think this way, but if in anything you think otherwise, bless your heart. God will reveal it to you. God will reveal it to you. I prayed last Sunday God would reveal whatever areas of rubbish we have. He would point us to Christ. And this verse says he will. He will do it. He will help you wherever you're stuck. Wherever this church is stuck, we just surrender to the Holy Spirit. We just fix our eyes on Jesus, and he'll set us straight. Literally, he'll set us straight. Whatever ways you and I are looking behind us, we just keep our eyes on Jesus. We strain towards the goal, the upward call, the prize of Jesus Christ. That's how Paul ends here in verse 16. Only, 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 let us hold true to what we have attained. Hold true to it. Hold true to Jesus. Whatever you know of Jesus, whatever you've grasped of the gospel, hold on to it. Only do that. Only hold true to what we have attained. Put everything behind you. Achievements, glories, trophies, put everything behind you. Disappointments, crises, arguments, let it all go. Look forward only forward, fixed on Jesus. Run after him and hold on to Jesus for life. But when you can't, not if you can't, but when you can't hold on to Jesus, the good news of the gospel is that he will hold on to you. Let me pray for us and then we're gonna sing a hymn as a prayer. <clears throat> Jesus, we can look to you because you are so trustworthy and good, and gracious, and faithful. So we ask that you would help us. This is hard for us. Help us, Jesus, to look at you, look to you, to strain forward to you. And if in anything we think otherwise, God, we humble ourselves before you on our knees as a church today. If in anything we are thinking otherwise, Please reveal that to us, that we would hold true to what we have attained, that we would run towards the prize of Jesus. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, 
save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. May it be so, Lord. Let's stand and sing this prayer together. Be thou my vision.